I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to teach my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast... I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. Okay, so Dakota, on today's episode, uh, I'm sure you've been watching the TikTok trends, because I know that you love trends. Yes, I've been watching all of the TikTok trends. Yes, so there's one going around TikTok right now. Yes, uh, okay. <laughs> So that was a great, a great, uh, for those of you at home who don't know what you're saying, that was Rasputin. Yeah. Yeah. Rasputin. So, okay. I'm really excited for this because in high school, all I remember about it was the song. And I'm sure that's what most people remember about Rasputin is, Ra, Ra, Rasputin. It's not Lady Gaga. Lover of the Russian queen. And I know she, he loved, uh, he loved a Russian queen. That's Mm -hmm. like, that's all I know about him. Mm -hmm. And there was like. In the music video, there were some girls dancing and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, I don't remember that part. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be that'd be crazy. I'm married, okay. You were married in high school. Uh, married to my books. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So TikTok has been doing this weird dance to Rasputin. I was just googling how to figure out how to say his name with the correct pronunciation, and there are like twenty different ways to say it. So I'm going to play some of them for you. Rasputin. So that's number one. This one I like the best. Rasputin. I think that's pretty Russian. I don't know if I could do that. Rasputin. <laughs> Rasputin. Rasputin. <laughs> it sounds one. like you're saying brass pudding. <laughs> brass pudding. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And then our last one here. Rasputin. So if we have any Russian listeners... <clears throat> Rasputin. So if we have any Russian listeners be great if you could let us know how to actually uh, say his name. So I am going to say his name the way that I've always said it, Rasputin, um, knowing that I could be wrong. I think every time you say it, you have to go, Ra, Ra, Rasputin. Why do I keep singing in the form of Lady Gaga? <laughs> I don't know, but I love it. How do, what's the actual melody? <laughs> well, no, how do you sing it? Not, not what the actual tune is. <laughs> There lived a certain man in Russia long ago. He was big and strong. He had eyes of flaming gold. Okay, of course you would know all the words to it. I was like <laughs> talking about the lyrics everyone knows, which is Ra Ra Rasputin, Russian of the Russian, oh. Russian what? what? <laughs> Lover of the Russian queen. He loved a Russian queen. I know that. Yeah. Oh my god. Did she love is, him back? This is getting will away we from find us. That, will this, we find that out? This is getting away from us here. Okay, so sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to the history of. Rasputin. Lover of the Russian Queen.
like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. Okay, so, Golden Nugget, Dakota. Your Golden Nugget this week. So my Golden Nugget actually comes from something we were working on this morning. We... For those of you who don't know, we have uh, uh, two 65-inch TVs beside each other because, you know, hashtag podcast money, obviously. And that's a joke for anyone who doesn't doesn't know me personally. Thanks, Harry. We don't make money from this, but we don't have kids. So we're able to have all them luxuries like two 65-inch TVs beside each other. But if you want to have kids, that's your choice and we support that. So we decided we're going to, we just got a new computer. Uh, we decided we're going to mix up the basement and like today. So I'm going to take the TVs off the walls and put them on a different wall. And I'm excited for what it's going to look like. You know, our new setup is going to be pretty sweet. We're turning into a whole just entertainment cave in the basement. Yes. It's very techie down here. Yeah. It's going to be cool. She can do whatever she wants in the upstairs and I get the basement. Yeah. So, which is fine. Yeah. So you I'm excited. You help with the upstairs stuff too. Uh, thank you. So. That's cool. What is your golden nugget? Yeah, my golden nugget uh, has to do with our podcast because, as you know, episodes one to four, I was so frustrated with how the sound quality was, and I was ready to give up podcasting. Yeah, and I just so you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let her. I know that we have many loyal listeners that count on us every Teresa. Wednesday, Teresa. So name drop. <laughs> yes. So. But I was getting to the point where I was like crying. I was so upset. So I posted in um, a Facebook podcast community of which I am a member, just asking for some help. And the response was really amazing. There were so many people that had really great advice. Um, special shout out to Josh from the podcast, The Music Dicts. So they're a podcast that talks about different things that have happened in um, like music, kind of like music history, but not necessarily music history. They were just did an episode about um, lawsuits that have happened in like the music industry. It's super interesting. If you like music, uh, it's a great one to check out. Their voices are really nice and smooth to listen to. And the content was really good, too. So thank you, Josh. We really appreciate that. And uh, I'll link the music dicts in our notes. So he helped out with some of our bass and treble issues. But then also we discovered uh, that we were recording with our mics backwards. So yeah, and it wasn't just one of us. Both of us <laughs> put our mics in backwards somehow. There, there's even on the front of the mic, there's a there's like an icon and both of them were backwards. So, yeah, we were we were really killing this podcast. game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think we fixed it, and I hope that in episode five, you guys, our listeners, were able to hear the difference in sound quality. So um, if you stuck with us through episodes one to four, and you've made it to episode five and six, thank you. Thank you. And speaking of listeners, we got a review. Ooh! Yeah, so we're going to read that. This review comes from uh, Jenny. I don't know if she wants me to say her last name, so I'm I not going to. <laughs> so Jenny, you know who you are. Jenny from the block. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jenny from the block. Um, she says, it's funny and informative. I like the different perspectives of the hosts and how it ties into current events. That's true about us. This is true. Yes. So now I'm like, oh, crap, how am I going to tie everything that we talk about into current events? So I I think you have a lot to live up to. But thank you, Jenny. Your words are so kind. Yes, actually, we were really happy and thankful that you listened to us. And yeah. also shocked because why? Uh, it must be our, our sultry voices. Yeah. Yeah, it's like ASMR to people. 
It is like ASMR. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so let's get into Rasputin. Okay, let's do it. So are you? what do you know about him, Dakota? Well... Uh, Other than it, he loved a Russian queen. And there was a music video about him. Well, I got nothing then. Okay. I, I just remember that at the, that point in history, I mean, not that I listen to history ever, but I remember our history teacher at the time, he just was very much into just playing videos for us mm-hmm. and like movies and stuff like that he wasn't he wasn't a history teacher he just you know he he taught gym and they needed a history teacher so even i'm sure we learned something about it but it's not like it was it probably wasn't super substantial because he just wanted to play videos for us Mm. so honestly i wouldn't be surprised if all i learned about him was the music video Mm -hmm. so i'm going into this knowing that he loved to dance probably right (laughs) and He loved the Russian queen. The biggest the biggest question I have, though, and I'm sure we'll get into it because that's the biggest part of his personality is he loved the Russian queen, is did she love him back? You know, was this a mutual thing or was he a creep that was like outside her window? And did he love the Russian queen? Oh, 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 that is a that's a game changer right, right there. Right. I'm excited to get into that. Yeah. But I think it's funny that you bring up the Boney M song. Um, the way that I teach about Rasputin, I don't usually... I mean, in history, he's an interesting figure. Maybe like a little side note in grade 11 history. But I like to do a lesson on him just because I like to think about how do different people see history. And I think that this is a really good way to kind of understand how people's perceptions of events or characters can change. So Dakota, you keep bringing up the fact that he was the lover of the Russian queen. And the question is, was he actually the lover of the Russian queen? And so we will get into it. But basically, the people who did not like Rasputin would, and who didn't like the Empress either, would make up rumors about him to kind of discredit him and her relationship. So you know, there were all of these people who were saying that they were lovers, but the question is, were they actually? And so when I teach this in history, we look at the song because it looks at the rumors. The song sings about the rumors and talks about it, but it also gives a really good summary of his history. And then we do a little web quest where the students have to go find actual truth about Rasputin. And then they have to write a paragraph talking about how can history be biased? And did they actually learn anything? Was Rasputin the person that he is in the song or is he something else and so that's what we're going to find out in this podcast okay i think this is gonna be cool i'm excited to hear you know if if, i mean the main thing is just their relationship i want to know the nitty-gritty you know or was he just friend zoned you know i mean there are going to be questions i don't know if we can actually answer it but there are questions about it Ooh, this is uh like unsolved mysteries (laughs) did he actually love the russian queen we will never know Uh, Rasputin was a political figure from the time of the Russian Revolution. He was an advisor to the Russian Tsarina. What's a Tsarina? It's basically an empress. It's the Russian word. And sometimes it's spelled T-S-A-R or T-Z-A-R or C-Z-A-R. So it's basically like the king. Tsar? Yeah. Well, Tsarina for a woman and Tsar for a king. Oh. Or a man. Okay, so this was the Tsar. I've... The, or the Tsarina, the girl. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I've heard of Tsar. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
in the Russian Tsarina Alexandra during the time of World War One. His history is pretty sordid. There is a lot of rumors about his sexuality and his stinkiness. They said he smelled like a goat. <laughs> um, and his murder. And was he having an affair with the Russian queen? And so people are always fascinated about him. And it's hard to get to the truth of what actually happened. Um, and who he actually was. So there is an episode or there's a documentary on Netflix that if you are interested in this time period of history was really excellent. It's called The Last Czars. I watched the first like three episodes. I'm really bad at watching TV, so I never finished it. But this one did a really great job of portraying the life of the czars. And the first, I think, first or second episode talks a lot about Rasputin's history and is very well done. So if you want to know more about him and the Russian Imperial family, uh, you should watch that. So his history is really interesting. Uh, It's really wild from the depictions of the way that he looked and smelled to his religion slash spiritual slash healing beliefs to his sexual history and his rumored affair. His full name is Grigor Rasputin. And he was born in a remote Siberian village in 1869. <laughs> you were not 12. <laughs> yeah, 69. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to make that joke. You have to keep that in there, okay? Rasputin's youth and early adulthood, according to historian Douglas Smith, are a black hole about which we know almost nothing. Because we're in Siberia in times when history is not really documented very well. Right. Although the lack of reliable sources and information did not stop others from making up stories about his early life after Rasputin's rise to fame. Historians agree that Rasputin, like most Siberian peasants, was not formally educated and remained illiterate well into his early adulthood. Local records suggest that he had an unruly youth, possibly involving drinking, petty thefts, and disrespect for the authorities. But these records contain no evidence of his being charged with stealing horses, blasphemy, or bearing false witness. And those are crimes that people, after he had became famous, said he was guilty of. I feel like, is this also the origins of gossip? Like, (laughs) did you hear what Rasputin did? In 1886, Rasputin traveled to Russia. So Siberia is not part of Russia at this time. Or is it now? Anyways. Uh, In 1886, Rasputin traveled to Russia. And he met a peasant girl named Praskova Dubrovna. Ooh. They married in 1887. While Praskova stayed in their home village, Rasputin would travel throughout the country. She remained devoted to him until his death. And they had seven children together, only, but only three survived to adulthood. One, the seven children thing, that sounds awful. And then three of them died. That's double awful. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a sad existence. Mm-hmm. In 1897... Rasputin developed a renewed interest in religion, and he left his village to go on a pilgrimage. And we learned about pilgrimages when we talked about St. Valentine's Day. It's not really clear why he left. According to some sources, Rasputin left the village to escape punishment for his role in a horse theft. Other sources suggest he had a vision of the Virgin Mary, while others suggest he was inspired by his meeting with a young theological student. So nobody really knows why he left the village, but he did. And at this time, Rasputin was 28. He had been married for 10 years, and he had an infant son and another on the way, and he just decided to up and leave. Ah, (laughs) son, I'm going to the store to grab some cigarettes. I'll be right back. Exactly how it went down. Yeah. So this is not only the origins of uh, gossip, but it's the origins of daddy going to the store to grab some cigarettes. Yep. Wow, lots of origin stories in here. So where did he go? He went to the St. Nicholas Monastery, and it completely transformed him. There he met and was profoundly humbled by an elder known as Makari. He may have spent several months here, and this is perhaps where he learned to read and write. 
He then returned to his wife as a changed man, looking disheveled and behaving differently. He became a vegetarian, swore off alcohol, and prayed and sang with much more vigor and enthusiasm than he had in the past. So there's some disagreement in the history here about what other things that Rasputin experienced as part of his religious conversion. Some accounts state that his religious conversion actually occurred at age 18, and he went to the same St. Nicholas Monastery and was introduced to the Callisti sect. And this is what I think the documentary on Netflix purports. Those accounts also claim that he perverted the Callisti beliefs into the doctrine that one was nearest to God when feeling holy passionlessness, and that the best way to reach this state was through sexual exhaustion that came after prolonged debauchery. And debauchery means the extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures, especially sexual ones. So to get closer to God, you need to just bang a lot? Yes, and like have orgies and stuff. This is incidentally how he earned the last name, as Rasputin is Russian for the debauched one. Oh, I thought you were going to say, uh, it's actually Russian for orgy king. <laughs> <laughs> no. Regardless of what the actual history is, this reputation followed him around, as by the early 1900s, Rasputin had developed a small circle of followers who prayed with him on Sundays and other holy days. This group was made up of primarily family members and other local peasants, and their meetings were held in secret. These meetings were the subject of some suspicion and hostility from the village priests and other villagers. It was rumored that female followers were ceremonially washing him before rituals of self-flagellation and sexual orgies. Self-flagellation means that you would whip yourself. Oh. Not I, what you were thinking. I hey? No, I was thinking like, okay, so he masturbates and then he <laughs> has an orgy? No. <laughs> this, uh, this episode needs a parental advisory. Absolutely. According to historian Joseph Furman, however, repeated investigations failed to establish that Rasputin was ever a member of the Callisti sect. So again, when we started this episode, I was talking about how people can make up rumors and that can get into the historical records as truth. And when historians now have looked at Rasputin, they can't really find actual documentation that this happened. But these were the rumors that people were making up to discredit him. So people would just be like, so I heard that he whips himself before he gets into an orgy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's fun that's a fun rumor to start yeah and the interesting thing that i found about this when i was doing my research that the callisti sect perversion is actually written as fact in the britannica encyclopedia so they're purporting that this actually happened but if you do more research into it you'll find other historians saying that it's not necessarily true so you can still have things written down that are questionable by like the Encyclopedia of Britannica saying, no, that is factually true. I just like, history is so wild to me. Me too. I know. I got really excited there. <laughs> Freaking dork. It was like hand gestures and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love history. Oh my goodness. Nerd. <laughs> so the question is, how did a disheveled sexed fiend rise to power in the Russian royal family? Is that what you were wondering? Yes. T tell me how I can r rise to royalty. <laughs> <laughs> you were not... A disheveled goat-smelling sex fiend, babe. But I love smelling goats. Yes. All right. So word of his activity and charisma began to spread in Siberia during the early 1900s. And at some point in either 1904 or 1905, he traveled to the city of Kazan and acquired the reputation as a wise and holy man who could help people resolve their spiritual crises and anxieties. So 
Rasputin was reported to have these wild piercing eyes that could just like see into a person's soul and they made people feel seen, I guess, and that he was listening and that he had like a sort of spiritual esoteric sort of way about him. That's really cool. People tell me that too. Rumors that he was having sex with female followers continued to follow him. But it did not prevent him from making a favorable impression on the father superior of the Seven Lakes Monastery outside Kazan. The Bishop Sergei also received letters of recommendation from local church officials asking for him to come be a part of the St. Petersburg Theological Seminary. Seminary is like priest school. Oh, so they wanted him to be a priest. Yeah, they wanted him to come to St. Petersburg, which is the capital of Russia at this time, and um, just kind of like become more priestly. Oh, yes. We we hear you like to have orgies, but come be a priest. Mm-hmm. Well, he had all those letters of recommendation. Right. <laughs> In St. Petersburg, Rasputin was introduced to many church leaders who were well-connected with the up-and-ups in Russia, including a man named Theophan, who later served as a confessor to the Tsar and his wife. So this shows that Rasputin was networking with people who will later introduce him to the Tsar and the Tsarina. So he's setting up the steps that he needs in order to get close to the seat of power. I don't know if that was actually his end goal, but I'm sure that he was a little bit power hungry and, you know, as much people of influence that he could meet and have under his belt, I guess, uh, would be good for him. Theophan invited Rasputin to live at his home and became his most important and influential friend in St. Petersburg, giving him entry to many of the influential salons where the aristocracy gathered for religious discussions. Alternative religious movements such as spiritualism had become really popular among the city's aristocracy before Rasputin's arrival in St. Petersburg. So they were holding like seances and like Ouija boards and trying to speak to the dead and kind of trying to tie that into Christianity and say that it was like a a spiritual godly thing. So there was this kind of like desire to partake in the occult. And Rasputin had a strong influence in that. He was kind of seen as this, like, magical man. Wait, so he was a part of the witches? Well, no, he was part of the spiritualist movement. He wasn't a witch. Yeah. But he... But, like, he was fine with the Ouija boards and shit like that? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, cl- clearly, not. he hasn't seen paranormal activity. No, don't... No. <laughs> don't get into Ouija boards. <laughs> yeah, that shit's spooky. <laughs> yeah. So many of the aristocracy were deeply curious about the occult and supernatural, and Rasputin's ideas and strange manners made him the subject of intense curiosity among these people as well, because he's this weird backwater peasant that came in and smelled like a goat. I don't know why I keep going back to the goat smell. I I don't know. (laughs) Do you want me to smell like a goat? Is that what you're trying to imply? By 1905, Rasputin had formed friendships with several members of the uh, aristocracy, including the Black Princesses, Melitza... Melitza and Anastasia of Montenegro, who had married the Tsar's cousins and were instrumental in introducing Rasputin to the Tsar and his family. So they were called black princesses because they were rumored to have engaged in spells and witchcraft and um, dealing with, you know, devilish kind of things. So black as in like black magic. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was reading a book. I don't remember if you remembered me seeing. It was a fictional book um, about these women and it was actually very fascinating fascinating i didn't finish it unfortunately because the library wanted it back but um it was very in-depth history of rasputin and these two women's history but it's it's fiction so i don't know how much of it was true right well it seems like a lot of this stuff 
we don't know. <laughs> a lot of the stuff is, is true. I'm just going to assume all of it's true, though. Okay. Rasputin first met Tsar Nicholas II, so that's the man, uh, the emperor of Russia, the last emperor of Russia, on November 1st, 1905. Nicholas wrote about this event in his diary, saying that he and Alexandra had, quote, made the acquaintance of a man of God, Grigory from the Tobolsk province, end quote. Rasputin first met the Tsar's children, and that's important because he is later known for healing one of their sons in October 1906. This is important because at some point the royal family became convinced that Rasputin possessed miraculous powers to heal their son Alexei. But again, there's historical disagreement over when this occurred. Was it November 1st, 1905, or was it October 1906? So, Nicholas II and his wife Alexandra, they were cousins. Cool. <laughs> um, they are both related to also Queen Victoria and I believe Kaiser Wilhelm. So basically a lot of the royal families of Europe prior to this um, would intermarry uh, because if you were like the Queen of England or the King of England and you were like, man, I want some territory in France, you would like set up your your son or your daughter with one of their sons or daughters. Um, in order to get that land and keep the power and the money in the family. And so this process was happening many, many, many times over many, many hundreds of years. And so by the time that we get to uh, Nick, Nicholas and Alexandra, um, they are related. And you know what happens when cousins marry each other. Your children sometimes have deformities. Um, and so Alexei, their son, had hemophilia. What's that? So that is when your blood does not clot. And so if you were to get a cut or to injure yourself, usually, you know, our blood will bleed and then eventually it will clot and stop the bleeding. Or if you have like an internal injury, again, your blood will clot inside you. So it would just keep bleeding? Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds like the worst kind of hell. Yeah. So he was um, their first son. Uh, The Russian people did not like Alexandra because she was German. Um, they thought that she was pretty stuck up and they didn't want a German princess, but Nicholas did actually love her very, very much. They had a really surprisingly wonderful, loving relationship, but the people of Russia did not love her. And she gave birth to, I believe, five girls, maybe four girls before Alexei was born. And so it was really important that Alexei stayed alive because he would be the next heir to the throne. Plus he kind of made it so that the Russian people didn't hate her as much. Because, you know, really, that's all that queens are good for, is to give birth to boys. Obviously. <laughs> I'm joking. It's a, it's a joke. So, Alexei was very sickly. The question was, was he going to survive? So, much of Rasputin's influence with the royal family came from this belief by Alexandra and others that he had eased the pain and stopped the bleeding of the royal heir, Alexei. According to historian Mark Farrow, the Tsarina had a passionate attachment to Rasputin, believing that he could heal her son's affliction. Thus, Rasputin became an indispensable member of the royal entourage. So, why did they believe that Rasputin could heal their son? So, I'll tell you a story. No one is exactly sure when he first practiced some of his faith healing on Alexei, but it may have been in the spring of 1907. He had been summoned to pray for Alexei after Alexei had suffered an internal hemorrhage. Rasputin had been rumored to be capable of faith healing since his arrival in St. Petersburg, and this worked this time. He was able to stop the internal bleeding, convincing many that he had miraculous powers. 
Now, many historians believe that this was actually due to Rasputin stopping the use of aspirin on Alexei. Aspirin is a blood thinner. So if you already, if your blood already can't clot and you're thinning it to make it flow even more easily. Oh, that's just gonna, it's just gonna come out. (laughs) Yeah. So like people give aspirin to people that they think are having heart attacks so that it doesn't get stuck in your heart, in your arteries. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if they're using a blood thinner on him, it's already thin anyways, and it's not going to clot properly. So why would they think, ah, this must be the cure? Well, do you remember from our Spanish flu episode where aspirin had just been developed and they thought it was the cure for everything? Right. Yeah. And they would give you like a shit ton of it. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. (laughs) Yeah. So that wasn't the only time he had stopped bleeding in Alexi. Again, in the summer of 1912, Alexei developed a hemorrhage in his thigh and groin after a jolting carriage ride. He was in severe pain and was delirious with a fever, and he appeared close to death. In a panic, Alexandra sent a telegram to Rasputin asking him to pray for her son. Rasputin wrote back telling her that God has seen your tears and heard your prayer. Do not grieve. The little one will not die. Do not allow the doctors to bother him too much. The next morning, Alexei's condition had not improved, but Alexandra felt much more hopeful because she believed that Rasputin did have healing powers. And then his, and then Alexei's bleeding did actually stop the next day. One of the physicians attending Alexei at the time admitted that the recovery was wholly inexplicable from a medical point of view. Thus, this solidified the view that Rasputin was a miracle man. So here's a quote. Rasputin would come in, walk up to the patient, look at him and spit. The- uh, on him? On the patient? Uh, this quote doesn't tell me. Oh, I just like to imagine. <laughs> just on his face. <laughs> He's like, there you healed. The bleeding would stop in no time. How could the Empress not trust Rasputin after that? Yeah. Magical spit. <laughs> Today, how did Alexei recover at this time? It's still unclear, but some speculate that the suggestion to not let the doctors disturb Alexei aided his recovery by allowing him to rest and heal, and that the message to Alexandra probably also aided in their recovery because she was calm, and then that reduced the emotional stress that Alexei was feeling, and he was just able to, you know, get some rest and actually heal. Some writers and historians, however, claim that Rasputin stopped Alexei's bleeding on other occasions through hypnosis. Oh, I know I talk a lot about hippies in this show, but it sounds like some hippie shit to me. (laughs) The royal family's belief in his healing powers helped to solidify his power and status at court. So he was appointed the official lamplighter, and this was the person who was in charge of keeping the lamps lit before the religious icons in the palace. And then that gave him regular access to the palace and royal family. Rasputin eventually felt so comfortable with them that he asked Tsar Nicholas for permission to change his name. And the Tsar granted this and allowed it to happen very quickly. This may seem like a not very important thing in history, but the purpose and the importance of it is that it demonstrates Tsar Nicholas's favor of Rasputin and shows that he really cares about Rasputin and that Rasputin does have the ear of the Tsar. And of course... Well, maybe not, of course, but... And Rasputin took full advantage of this, accepting bribes and sexual favors from admirers. Wow, he sounds like a real stand-up dude, this Rasputin. (laughs) However, he was a controversial figure. What? (laughs) No, not... Oh, sorry, that probably... That might have hurt ears. No, not Rasputin. I looked up to him. (laughs) His enemies accused him of religious heresy 
and rape, and suspected him of exerting undue political influence over the Tsar, and he was even rumored to be having an affair with the Tsarina. Rasputin faced opposition from the church, with several influential members denouncing him as a heretic and accusing him of spreading false Kilist-like doctrines. Even in St. Petersburg. Sorry, sorry. So, so at this point, they're like, you know, I'm starting to think that him spitting on the patients is not working. <laughs> well, the queen, or the empress and the emperor were fully enamored with him, and they did not care what his enemies said. They were like, he healed our son. Screw off. We don't care if he is a heretic and raping people. He can heal our son, and that's all we care about. So his enemies would make up things like he's having an affair with the Tsarina to try and discredit him. But if he can heal your son, and you're so worried about your son, you probably don't care what is true and what is not. Yeah, I suppose. Just kind of messed up. Even in St. Petersburg, the opposition against him was strong, with the prime minister and the Tsar's secret police, the Okhrana, conducting... The Okhrana? Yep, like not the, the Ocarina of Time. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, is this Legend of Zelda stuff? Does this tie into that lore? Sorry, no. Oh. Uh, conducting investigations about him. They confronted the Tsar about Rasputin, asking for his exile, but that was ignored. There were so many accusations against Rasputin in terms of sexual misconduct with female followers, including accusations of rape. However, none of them went noticed by the monarchy. So did they just pretend it didn't happen, or...? Exactly. Oh, what the, because he was, like, healing and shit. Yes. Damn. What a bunch of douchebags. Also at this time, we have Russia going through a rapid economic decline and a demand for a democratic government. So this is prior to World War One. Russia is just starting to industrialize. They are less economically wealthy when compared to the rest of Europe. It's a huge population that lives there. Um, they're ruled by this feudal government with a king, not a king, but a king and a queen who have all the power. People don't have a vote. Um, so it was a time of great upheaval. And the fact that Rasputin is seen as such a horrible man and the monarchy's not listening to what the people are wanting in terms of Rasputin just kind of served to solidify the belief that the government, the king and the queen, the czar and the Tsarina didn't care about their people. Many people laid the blame of the economic decline on Alexandra and her evil spirit, Rasputin. So many people tried to kill Rasputin. The first attempt on his life occurred in 1914, when he was stabbed by a 33-year-old peasant woman. He was seriously wounded, and for a time, it was not clear if he would survive. The peasant woman said that she had read about Rasputin in the newspapers and believed him to be a false prophet and even an antichrist. Oh, so... <laughs> This uh, holy woman took it upon herself to stab a man. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sounds just like what Jesus would have wanted. So 1914, World War One, Russia was not doing so hot. And so to help with the morale of the soldiers, Nicholas II went to the front lines to command the army. He left Tsarina Alexandra in charge, and she leaned heavily on Rasputin during this time. The Russian people did not love this, as Alexandra was a German princess, and many thought that she was actually helping the Germans during the war. Plus, she still had the creepy Rasputin by her side. Is that what they said? They're like, ah, she's still got that creepy fucker by her side. <laughs> I hope that's what they said. Yeah. So in order to fix this problem, they knew um, that they had to get rid of Rasputin. Mm -hmm. A group of nobles, including Nicholas's cousin, decided that Rasputin's influence over the Tsarina threatened the empire and that they had to get rid of him. 
They lured him to dinner at one of their palaces in December 1916. And I'm going to tell you the story of his murder. What? I'm just picturing. Sorry. (laughs) So they invited him to dinner and then they were going to give him some poison, but they accidentally mixed it up and he became a llama. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Is this Emperor's New Groove? Is that what happens? You're real close. (laughs) So they invited him to dinner. They gave him food and wine that had been laced with cyanide. And Rasputin drank the wine and ate the food. And he got rather drunk, but he did not succumb to the effect of the poison. Instead, he turned into a llama. The nobles who were there had to leave and kind of come up with a new plan because they were hoping that this would have killed him. And they're like, well, shoot, our plan didn't work. So they did not give up. And they eventually shot Rasputin several times at close range and left him for dead. A short time later, Rasputin revived and attempted to escape (sighs) through the palace grounds, but was again shot by the assailants and viciously beaten. I just like, I'm just picturing every time they try to kill him, he just like... He, they think he's dead, and then a little bit later, he's like, oh, I'm still alive somehow. It's like in, in Austin Powers when uh, <laughs> Will Ferrell's character, do you remember that? No. But Will Ferrell's character, they would like throw him into a fire, and <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd be like, ah, I'm burning, I'm burning alive. Oh, I think I'm okay. And every time they would, they would come in and shoot him, and he'd be like, you shot me. <laughs> and he, he would just keep on living through that. Is that Rasputin? Yeah, maybe they were inspired by this story. Maybe. <laughs> um, I, I, for some reason, I, I thought that backwards. I'm like, the people who killed Rasputin were like, you remember that scene in Austin Powers? You know? That's, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> finally, they bound Rasputin in a carpet and threw him in the Neva River, where he finally drowned to death, and his body was discovered three days later. By a peasant man who (laughs) has llamas. (laughs) Some legends stated that they had found water in his lungs, suggesting that he had gone into the water alive. And um, Of course he was still alive. You can't kill that bastard. (laughs) But that was actually refuted by a subsequent autopsy that stated that he had been shot to death. Mm. So this murder led to Alexandra's belief that she needed to tighten the reins on her autocratic rule. However, not long after this incident, the Bolshevik Revolution put an end to the imperial regime. Nicholas, Alexandra, and their entire family were murdered by opponents to the emperor and empress a few years later at the start of the Russian Revolution. And that is our story about Rasputin. Well, that was really interesting. Thank you. I really... (sighs) Thank you. I did... Oh, I knew we shouldn't have opened that Ouija board. We let some bad juju in. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really interesting story. I I think I found it really interesting how they would continuously overlook the negative press around Rasputin and he was still seen as this great man when he's doing all this bad shit, mm-hmm. you know, rape and shit, mm-hmm. like but he also saved their son. So it's just weird how they look over all this crappy stuff that he did, that he didn't seem like a good guy, but because he could, in their minds, heal, essentially. It just shows how people are willing to overlook what a person does if they can benefit you. Mm -hmm. That felt like a smart thought. That was absolutely a smart thought. And I think that we see that a lot in politics. Yeah, absolutely. So... There you go. There you go, listener, uh, Jenny from the block. There is our connection to today's... (laughs) There's our connection from then to now. Yeah. 
So we did it. Did it hold up to what you knew from grade 11 history? Well, I learned a lot more, I will say. Um, I learned that a lot of people thought he was a scoundrel, but a lot of people thought he was the cat's pajamas. The bee's knees. The bee's knees, as it were. So it's just interesting. And a big takeaway from that, I think, is just, I don't know, maybe don't believe everything that you read or hear. I mean, I think that's actually a good point. You need to be able to think critically about the stories that you're being given. And a great example is, is a Facebook meme a good source of fact? Probably not. So we need to learn how to think critically and read critically about the information that is being given to us. Exactly. And if people tell you that Rasputin whipped himself before orgies, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that's true? <laughs> I So that had been part of the historical record as fact for a very long time. And there was a recent delve into Rasputin's history that was done by a man named Douglas Smith. And I'm going to quote some things from here. He had written a book called Rasputin. And so he says that the Rasputin of popular culture is this lurid, grasping sexual beast with an insatiable appetite for women, an orgiastic lover. But that his actual truth is maybe not that, is not that. And so through the course of history, what Douglas Smith says is that um, he becomes, Rasputin becomes the black mud that gets smeared all over the throne in Russia um, because of his closeness to Nicholas and Alexandra. And he becomes the ultimate symbol for decadence and sense of foreboding and death that used to hang over the Romanov, uh, the Romanovs. But this Smith, his opinion has changed radically. And he sees now Rasputin as a, quote, more benevolent figure and had a much more, in a way, or at least he tried to have a more positive influence on Nicholas and Alexandra and even on the course of Russian history. One of the little known facts about him is the degree to which he pleaded with Nicholas in the summer of 1914 not to go to war. And so if you had taken that, um, it would have changed history drastically. He's not a lovable character. He has a lot of reprehensible sides to him. This is still quotes. Uh, an adulterer, a drunk, he groped freely and things like that. But he did care for his children, made sure that they got an education, made sure there was a steady home with help for his wife, and he always came back to her. And so what this Douglas Smith says is that I took away from research and writing the degree to which the world around him was as corrupt or more corrupt than him. And that corrupt world made him a scapegoat for Russia's problems. Instead of looking at the difficulties facing the country, which were staggering and monumental, especially as the war progressed, it was easy to pin it all on one person and believe that if we just somehow got rid of Rasputin and his nefarious influence, all of our problems would have gone away. That's really interesting. So just the world at the time was just bad. Mm -hmm. It just was not a good place. Mm -hmm. And in this tale, it's kind of pinning it all on like Rasputin's, mm -hmm. that it's his fault. Mm -hmm. But just the world sucked mm -hmm. at that point. And then that history of Rasputin has stayed in the public mind for so long because I guess people are just willing to accept it. Plus, it's interesting. It's an interesting story. People yeah. are like, what? Who is this crazy man? Yeah. But when you actually get to the meat of it, like this historian did, and that's kind of what changed my opinion of Rasputin, um, that maybe some of the things that they said he did are not as extreme as people painted him to be. I'm not saying that he was a great person, but it's easy to embellish your story about somebody that you don't like. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you rate this story? I'm going to give this 9.5 Sorry. goat-scented Old Spice out of 10. <laughs> 9.5. Yes. Mm, yeah. This was a really good story. Thank you. You know, I didn't want to go quite 10 because I, I want you to still have room to grow. And I feel like you can do more even. I Perfect. feel like we'll... You know, you'll get that 10 eventually, but I want you to work for it. You don't get it on the fifth episode. Sixth episode. Sixth episode. I know. But I mean, the last episode was a 6.8 and go to 9.5. I'm happy with that. Yeah. This was, this was really interesting. And I, lo- I especially like the part where Rasputin turned into a llama. I think that was... <laughs> That was really like, you know, you, you know, not only does history repeat itself and connect to today, but it also connects to classic Disney movies. So it's true. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So that's all we have for this week. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review or tell your friends about us. If you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at TheReluctantHistorian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. And keep on loving those Russian queens! <laughs>